Welcome to the Modern Mobility Podcast, brought to you by Modern Mobility Partners. This podcast is for transportation planners and enthusiasts who want to learn practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges. And now, here are your co-hosts, certified transportation planners, national experts, and thought leaders, Kelly Kemp and Kirsten Moat. Welcome to episode 10 of the Modern Mobility Podcast. I am Kelly Kemp. And I'm Kirsten Moat. And as always, we are your fabulous co-hosts. Today, we are joined by our lovely guest, Jennifer Zahn, the other co-founder of Modern Mobility Partners. And she joined us previously when we discussed grant strategies. So today, she's going to be showcasing her expertise and demonstrating the economic benefits of transportation and more specifically conducting benefit cost analyses for USDOT discretionary grants. So welcome, Jen. Thanks for having me. And it's glad to be back to the Modern Mob podcast. <laughs> so, um, you know, in a previous episode, in episode eight, you know, we talked about putting together a grant application and we mentioned benefit cost analyses in that. This episode goes down into more detail on demonstrating the economic impacts of a project, why it's important, and things to consider when doing a benefit cost analysis. So how often do you guys hear elected officials say, well, why should we invest in this project? Like, I bet, Kirsten, you've heard it quite a bit in your previous roles. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always like, well, why should we prioritize this project over this one? And you know, whenever we talk to stakeholders, elected officials, even even the public at, at public meetings, everybody wants to know, well, well, what's the return on investment? And we're going to yeah. talk about ROI uh, a little bit later in this episode. But it seems to be top of mind for everyone. Like they just want to make sure that what they're investing in, they're going to get a return some way, somehow. Yeah. And if there's one thing I've learned over the year over the years is that, you know, money talks. And anytime we can demonstrate that return on investment, it's going to move the project further along in implementation. So why are economic benefits of investing in transportation important? You know, there's usually this misunderstanding sometimes from the public that transportation is fully funded by gas taxes. People drive on the roads, they have to pay for their gas whenever they go to the pump they're paying a tax and that tax is used to help improve the roadway system. But the thing is, is those gas taxes only really cover 50% of the cost of that infrastructure. There's another 50% that comes from other taxes that are levied on drivers. You know, there's often this misunderstanding by the public that transportation is fully funded by the gas taxes they pay at the pump. But that's actually not the case. So there's a report from the Tax Foundation that found that just a little over 50% of America's road spending comes from the gas taxes, tolls, and other fees levied on drivers. But there's another 50% that comes from general tax dollars. And a lot of times when we talk about transit, you know, transit fares prior to the COVID-19 pandemic covered at least 21% of cost. And that's what we call fare box recovery. And this can vary greatly. Amtrak covers 85% of its costs from tickets. And in larger metro transit agencies like New York, WMATA, and D.C., 
BART in the Bay Area and MARTA here in Atlanta, those metro systems are actually covering a much higher percentage than, say, small rural agencies, which makes a lot of sense. Okay. For the roadway infrastructure, 50% of the cost to maintain that infrastructure is covered by user fees, gas taxes, and, um, you know, tolls, et cetera. 21% and could be as high as 85%. You know, Kirsten, what would you say the average fare box recovery? I've heard like 40, 45%. Yeah. Yeah. I would say on average, it's definitely less than 50% of their operating costs. Yeah. And so there's a lot of time, there's a lot of discussion of like, well, transit is subsidized and we're just subsidizing it. But so is the roadway infrastructure system. It too is being subsidized by non-user fees. So just want to put that out there. So a lot of times we might find that transit receives more, quote, subsidies than, than the roadways. But you have to factor in also that roadways spend a lot more money than transit. So the average household spends almost $780 for roads, but they only spend $50 for transit. Okay, so that just puts it a little bit in perspective. And this is all really to say that transportation is an important amenity that is a public right. You know, the focus shouldn't be necessarily for how much it will return, but what benefits it will provide for the population that uses it. Okay, so that's a little bit of a of a different mindset that we're moving more towards. And Kirsten, I know you've, you know, been hearing a lot about that through the bipartisan infrastructure law as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard sometimes when you've got these major infrastructure projects that are really, really high costs to demonstrate that the monetary return or the or the return on investment through additional jobs or uh, economic growth of the area is is can be really difficult to quantify and explain. So mm-hmm. um, I think you're right. You know, changing that mindset to think more about well, what are the benefits that this transportation infrastructure provides? Um, and you can monetize that, but what are the mm-hmm. what are the overall benefits that people are going to get from this that makes that investment worth it? Yeah. So Jen's going to get into all these steps on how to do this. However, first, we're going to have her talk a little bit about how economic benefits are actually calculated before we go into the different steps on doing a benefit cost analysis for, say, a grant application. So Jennifer, take it away. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Um, so one thing I want to point out first is this is a very broad subject. So there are, you know, few major types of analysis that may be used to quantify or evaluate the impacts of transportation projects. Kirsten mentioned the economic impact analysis, which get to the jobs and then also can be including, you know, regional productive analysis that is going to be a little bit more time consuming. And it might be also a little bit hard to kind of explain to the general public. But then that's definitely one of the major types. The other one is the benefit cost analysis, the BCA. And then they are slightly different. So you will hear some of those uh, in today's episode. And uh, I can explain a little bit uh, for each of those and uh, what the difference are. So getting to the benefit cost analysis, you know, related to benefits, there are a lot of different um, benefits. Some of those are transportation direct benefits, 
So uh, what are the, the tra travel time savings that the project is going to provide to the users? What, um, how about the vehicle operating cost savings, the safety benefits by increasing the safety aspects of the projects by reducing the crash and the fatality, uh, the emission reduction benefits. And then in addition to some of those direct benefits, there are also some of the benefits that can showcase, you know, what, what the market access to the employment opportunities for the residents and for the labor force uh, this project can provide. Uh, is there any land value uh, impacts uh, or the property or sale tax revenue impacts related to the projects? And then uh, one thing I would say is those impacts and the benefits can be very different by project mode and the project type. So keep in mind that not every project will yield every benefits type. So you do need to kind of really understand what this project is and what exactly this project, the benefits this project is going to provide. So Jen, I have a question for you. For those uh, that maybe don't live and breathe transportation like we do, can you explain a little bit by what you mean by vehicle operating cost savings and emission reduction benefits? Sure. So the vehicle operation uh, cost savings can cover actually two main aspects. Uh, one is the saving related to fuel cost, and the other is the saving related to non-fuel cost, which can include, you know, depreciation, maintenance, insurance cost related to the vehicles. So the fuel cost savings uh, are more related to, you know, less fuel spend in delay and idling. Uh, for this project, when you construct it uh, during, you know, build scenario, when compared to the no-build scenario, uh, versus the non-field operating cost savings, it's more related to change in vehicle mile traveled. Um, just giving a quick example, if one project is to provide a better and more direct access in the transportation system, this project could result in a reduced uh, system vehicle miles traveled, the VMT. So um, the USDOT benefit cost analysis guidelines uh, for discretionary grant programs, it provides the standard national level per mile values for vehicle operating costs for both light duty vehicles and the commercial uh, trucks. So you can actually use those unit value and then uh, multiply by the changes in the vehicle miles traveled to estimate what are the benefits related to the non-fuel uh, operating cost savings. So basically, when you talk about vehicle operating cost savings, if you do a project and it reduces congestion, you'll spend less time sitting in intersections or, or sitting in traffic, which will ultimately help you save the amount of fuel that you spend and will also reduce the wear and tear on your car. Yes. So again, I think you need to look at the project to see whether this project has resulted uh, reduction of uh, delay and then whether this will actually um, have resulted VMT because it provided a better and more kind of connected transportation system. So, you know, some of the project might actually only have one cost savings uh, related to the field side. But then, you know, some projects might actually have benefits for both fuel cost savings and the non-fuel cost savings. 
Yeah. And also, I would just add that, you know, the example that Kirsten was just giving about sitting at an intersection, in addition to the vehicle operating cost savings, if you're sitting there in the intersection and you're not sitting there for as long, you're reducing your emissions coming out of your tailpipe as well. You know, the the less time you're idling, the better as as it relates to air pollution. So just want to throw that out there. That then translates to health benefits that are also quantified, right? So it's connecting all the dots. Yeah, yeah, Kelly, you are absolutely right. The emission reduction benefits is one of also the main kind of benefits USDOT is looking at. You know, anything related to reduce the delay and idling uh, will basically result in reduction in burning of the fuels. And then that, um, you know, can have impacts on some of the major local air pollutant categories. The, nitrogen oxide, the fine particular matter, and then also, you know, the greenhouse gas emissions. So all of those, you know, can be quantified based on vehicle hours saved and then also uh, uh, a vehicle miles uh, reduced for the project. Okay, I think we covered that. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Warning, everybody. This is a very intense topic, but it is very important. <laughs> so just heads up, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that covers the benefits. But then going beyond those benefits, I think one of the things that going back to what Kirsten mentioned is the economic you know, kind of impact of the transportation projects could uh, bring to the region. And then so you can actually evaluate how those investments will help strengthen the economic vitality uh, of the the study area or or even broader region by looking at uh, whether this project is going to uh, increase jobs, uh, increase the personal and the disposal income, and then that leads to basically a, a more broader economic impact analysis. And the way you do economic impact analysis, uh, often uh, it's required uh, economic modeling. And then some of the common tools that uh, we use is REMI or, or implant that can be really helping to forecast and measure a broader economic impacts uh, on the transportation investment side. Very important interjection here, Jen. Just as a side note, um, you had mentioned personal dis- personal and disposable income. I feel like my children think today and every day that all of my income is disposable income. Just wanted to <laughs> put that out there. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> I'm sure uh, the new generation, many of those might think the same way. <laughs> So when you're looking at the Remy and the other tools, they're actually more focused on, you know, the employment, the income, and then uh, the economic outputs. And then those are the results that uh, could help to understanding how and in what form the benefits this project could bring uh, to an even more kind of region and then from the economic perspective. So... Uh, that's kind of the next level of uh, be- benefit cost analysis. So I have another question. Jen, you're going to get so many questions today. <laughs> <laughs> so when can you explain a little bit by what you mean by economic output? Like what exactly are the output measures? 
So economic output is like the total value of the goods and services produced in an economy. So gross domestic product, the GDP, is one of the most widely used measures of economic output or productions. And again, that that is the output from some of the economic model,、uh, such as Remy. So you will actually use. The transportation direct benefits almost as income, and then there is a projections of how the region or or the nation the economic is going to grow or 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 change over the time, and then the GDP and then the the total you know value of the goods and the services would be kind of one outcome from from the Remy model. So I'll say you know we we have had some episodes on grant strategy. We've had an episode on the Infrastructure and Investment Jobs Act, the IIJA,、uh, as well as putting together a grant application. So, with this increased federal discretionary grant opportunities,、uh, I think today we want to spend a little more time, or a lot more time,、mm-hmm. discussing the actual benefit costs analysis and how to complete a BCA for your grant applications and. I would say that most planners, most transportation planners, are familiar with benefit cost analyses,、uh, but it's a really important tool for us, and it really provides a standard method for policymakers to assess the value of the different benefits and compare the costs of different projects. So you can use benefit cost analysis to、uh, help you prioritize your projects.、Mm-hmm. It can help with these、um, discretionary grant programs. In fact. Uh, it's a requirement for most of them, and can really give you some good information、uh, that you can broadcast out to the public and elected officials. So, let's talk about the basics of a benefit cost analysis. So, what you end up with is、uh, your primary measure is called a benefit cost ratio,、um, and this is a direct comparison of your benefits to your costs. So a BCR benefit cost ratio, one point zero or greater, that indicates that that project provides more benefits than it does costs. And if your ratio is less than one point zero, that indicates that the project costs are more than the benefits. So that's kind of the standard that you're looking for. You want a benefit cost analysis that yields at least a one point zero. To illustrate that that project has more benefits than it does cost, Jen mentioned this already, but the USDOT has a benefit cost analysis guidance for discretionary grant programs, and we will include a link to that in our show notes. But this provides the most standard benefits and costs utilized in determining the economic output of projects. So, as Jen talked about these benefits earlier, they typically include travel time savings. So, how many hours are we saving in vehicle delays? Those operational cost savings that Jen talked about, being the fuel savings, and then also the wear and tear on your vehicle, the safety benefits. So, how much are you reducing、uh, the likelihood of crashes and fatalities,、uh, and your emission reduction benefits? So, how much are you reducing people sitting and idling and allowing all of those emissions to go into the air? Those are the standards. There are there are other benefits that you can look at in these benefit cost analyses, and some of those include things like modal diversion. So, if you 
are looking at a transit project, you one of your benefits may be uh, reducing the single occupancy vehicles on that roadway and shifting their mode to the transit mode. Um, you can also look at resilience benefits, state of good repair benefits. How is this project going to uh, reduce your annual operating and maintenance costs? Um, work zone impacts, quality of life, or even property value increases. So on the opposite side of the benefits, so the denominator of your benefit cost ratio are the costs. And it's really important in your benefit cost analysis to include all of your costs. And those will include your capital expenditures. So what does it cost to actually build the project? Your operating and maintenance expenditures. What does it cost on an annual basis to operate and maintain that infrastructure? And the residual value and remaining service of life. So, Jen, I'm going to let you explain a little bit more on what we mean by residual value and remaining service of life. Sure. So one of the things that we want to point out is on the USDOT benefit cost analysis guidance is every project needs to consider the analysis period um, for that project. And then so projects involving the initial construction or, or the full reconstruction of the highways or similar facilities should use analysis period of 30 years. A uh, project aimed uh, really to improve the capacity and then expand the capacity and address any operating deficiencies should use an operating period of 20 years. So. However, even though considering all of those analysis periods that identified in the USDOT guidelines, we understand that some of the transportation projects are designed for very long term of use and could have an expected life that exceeds the maximum of 30 years. So uh, the USDOT does allow to consider the remaining service of life and the residual value in the BCA analysis. Uh, one thing I would uh, point out is uh, several years ago, Kelly and I worked on the SR400 Express Lane uh, project uh, for the Infra Grants and then BCA. So one example I want to point out is on the SR400 Express Lane uh, Infra Grant application and the benefit cost analysis we did is that project is a full uh, construction of new Express Lanes uh, with two lanes in each direction along SR400 corridor. And then so with that full construction or initial construction of the express lanes, the analysis period we have to use is 30 years. However, this project could have service life exceeding or, or beyond the 30 years. So we actually considered the residue value in the BCA analysis, estimating uh, at the end of the analysis period of the 30 years you know, what is the remaining service life? It could be, you know, 10, 15 years. And then you can actually consider that a residual value in your BCA to discount it, that value to their present value in the BCA, which could give you a higher uh, BC uh, benefit cost ratio. So uh, just to summarize that, there's a lot of math that goes into <laughs> these benefit cost yes. analyses. A lot of math. Um, so and can I just, I was just yeah. going to say, I'm still having, I was having flashbacks the whole time you were talking, Jen, on that state route 400 uh, express lanes and for grant application, because 
we did that right before we launched Modern Mobility Partners. And that was in the midst. We were doing seven grant applications at one time. Over the fun time, period. right? <laughs> like we literally like, was it eat, sleep, breathe? Like, yeah. I mean, it was insane. And so I was just having flashbacks of it. But hey, that's why we do great applications now. We're like, we can do this. <laughs> This is yeah. easy. Now we did, we've done a ton of them. It's great. So uh, getting back to the discretionary grant programs, putting together a grant application, we've talked about the benefits of the BCA, but there's also a lot of other benefits that you should really consider as a part of your project narrative. You may not be able to quantify them or monetize them as part of the benefit cost analysis, but these can still be quantitative. Um, or qualitative benefits that you really want to try to demonstrate. And they can be both tangible and intang- intangible. So some of the tangible benefits th- are things like job creation. So this can be uh, creation of jobs because of the construction, um, or it could even be jobs uh, afterwards, after the project is, is completed. Um, so think of a transit project that would need operators. Uh, they need perhaps additional maintenance crews, and they may also need uh, police workers after the construction. Um, And transportation improvements like a bicycle, a pedestrian project can also have these other benefits like uh, improved health to users. And then I talk about, you know, intangible benefits for a project, and these would include improved connectivity to other transportation projects, maybe a reduction in the need for stormwater improvements because this project has already incorporated some landscaping and some green infrastructure and may also include things like improved access for disabled or aging populations. I mean, obviously, the more you can quantify, the better. These quantitative benefits provide the best possible arguments for a project because there'll be historical data to back up the findings. But that is not to say to leave out qualitative benefits. Those are still very important to include in your narrative and, 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 and can sometimes, but not, not usually, can sometimes be used for the calculation of economic benefits. And can I just add that, you know, I think there's a theme here that we want to make sure is pointed out. And that's, you know, sometimes people think that the benefit cost analysis or the return on investment for a project is it's just based on money. And as you can see, you know, like the cost of the project and maybe how many jobs come out of it and that's it. And as you can see with these detailed benefit cost analyses, it's all encompassing. You know, it's human life, quality of life, you know, health, safety. There's so many different things that are captured in those benefits. And so I just wanted to point that out, that it, it is a very comprehensive measure that takes into account a lot of different types of benefits for transportation improvement. Yeah, and it's definitely very by project type. I mean, mm-hmm. you heard from us on the roadway projects, transit project, bike pedestrian projects, and uh, each one of those probably have their primary and then the secondary benefits mm-hmm. that you can quantify. But uh, I agree that even some of the qualitative benefits, it's great to actually include that in the narrative or the BCA tech memo, which now is required uh, along with the BCA Excel spreadsheet. 
So even though you cannot quantify that just because of lack of the data or some of the assumptions, making sure that you document those qualitative benefits, it will at least show that the quantitative BCR, the USDOT is going to review is on the cons- conservative side, right? So if you have a lot of more quantitative assumptions and then data, you can quantify those qualitative benefits, your BCR is going to end up higher. Yeah. So, so we, st- we started to hit on it and I'll let either one of you kind of take the lead, but can you all talk a little bit about the main difference between a benefit cost analysis and return on investment? Because I feel like they're used interchangeably and they they definitely should not be. Yeah, I'll let Jen get into the details, but the way I think of it is this it's a benefit um or an economic impact analysis on a spectrum whereas return on investment is much more higher level and benefit cost analysis or BCR benefit cost ratios are much more detailed and all encompassing. But I will let Jen fill in all the details there. But that's kind of my take. Is that right, Jen? Did I yeah. get that right? Yeah. I feel the return on the investment or ROI is is a calculation focused on the financial gains uh, for a project or, or program against the cost to implement. Because sometimes you can say, okay, what is the ROI for a transit project? So it gives you a little bit of a high level of the return on the investment by the project type versus um, different types. So it does not uh, attempt uh, to quantify, you know, all the tangible and the intangible costs and the benefits that are associated with the project. And then sometimes it it can actually indicate a quick you know, return on the investment by a project type, whether it's a roadway or, or transit project or, or landscaping project. So you can kind of use that as also also a way to communicate with your stakeholder and the general public. So, Jen, is it fair to say that if your ROI is good, your benefit cost ratio will most likely be even better because you can capture more benefits because of that detailed analysis? or is that not always the case because you're also capturing more detailed costs, including operations and maintenance costs? So it's hard to say one way or the other. I think it's hard to say. I think it really like, you know, because of both sides, you have to go to a much detailed level when you get right. to the return on investment. I think really on the benefit side and cost side, when you calculate the BCA, you go to a much detailed re- level. Um, you know, the cost way, including even operation and the maintenance costs and the benefits could include a broader benefits. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to say. However, the ROI gives you kind of really high level. This is a high kind of range you're looking at. But then once you get to a detailed project level, you probably going to discover a lot of different things, both on the benefit as well as the cost side. Yeah. I would just say that usually what we, recommend is that if you have a very large program of projects and you're trying to just figure out which ones might return more on investment than others do that ROI high level. And then once you've whittled down to a much smaller group of projects or even just for your grant application, that's when you do a more detailed BCA. So so let's talk a little bit about economic impacts to the general public. I mean, I would I would say that generally speaking, most people are not thinking about the economic benefits of transportation. I don't know about you. 
I would I would say that most of my neighbors probably do not. <laughs> but like most taxpayer items, I think again, generally speaking, it's considered by many to be a public good and subsidized and there's a lot of debate about public funding of transportation, no matter what mode. And, you know, you can debate that it should be a flat fee compared to a user fee, or I only want to pay for what I use and I don't want to pay for the infrastructure that I'm not using. That's a whole nother episode where we can go into that debate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, opinions about transportation vary greatly depending on where you live, uh, how you get around. So in For example, uh, in suburban areas like where I live, there is some transit available, but not much. Most people want to see improvements to the road network or they want more sidewalks. In the city, they may be more interested in having more transit or having um, transit stops that are closer to them or having transit stops that have the necessities like shelters trash receptacles, information on the transit schedule. But regardless, it's really important uh, that we note and educate the public on economic benefits of transportation. And, you know, we talk about wanting to convince politicians of the benefits so that they, you know, can can vote in your favor. Um, We have to remember that the public not only votes on their elected officials, but also vote on sales tax measures. And sales tax is one of the key ways for local governments to fund their transportation network. So mm-hmm. making sure that the public understands the benefits that come from these transportation projects will really help you con- convince your constituents that they, they're willing to pay additional sales taxes to fund those transportation projects. Yeah, Kristen, one thing I would say is it's also to, you know, some of the, say, travel time savings. It might be good for general public. You just provide a more detailed information with the key origin and the destination information. I remember one of the projects we worked on looking at one-way to two-way conversion so we actually produced the travel time savings for, you know, multiple origin and the destination pairs, right? So you kind of related the information to what they do. So that is more kind of relevant for the general public saying, okay, I usually go from, you know, A to B. And then before this is going to take, you know, X amount of time. But with this project, it's Y. And then this is a reduce of travel time savings by 20%. So I think getting a little bit more specific information, it might be Mm -hmm. helpful as well, instead of saying, okay, the overall travel time savings is going to be 20,000 hours. So that number might not be very relevant to a, a single person. But then if you can kind of provide a little bit more detailed information when meeting with the general public and then be specific to their travel patterns and their behavior, that goes a long, long way. I think that's a really good point, Jen. Um, as transportation planners, you know, it's up to us to really help message those benefits to elected officials and the communities that we're serving, you know, and that's easier said than done sometimes. But as you can see, you know, by just by our conversation, this can be very technical information, but 
we want to show enough detail to show the benefit to the community, but not so much that it's overwhelming. And so it's striking that balance and, you know, summarizing into infographics and illustrations to really, you know, make it really easy for folks to understand what it means to them. Right. So I think that's real important. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's probably the most important thing I've learned as a transportation planner that I didn't learn in school. So you learn how to do all the technical stuff in school and then um, you know what you're talking about, but you write a report and somebody else reads it and they're like, this makes no sense to me. Like, what are you even talking about? Why do you keep (laughs) rambling and shoving numbers in my face? Like, (laughs) so, I mean, but that's, that's a skill that I think just comes with time and, yeah, um, but it's really important for us as planners to master that skill. Yeah, I agree with that completely. So I think now we're actually finally going to get to our steps. So Jen's going to get into seven steps to demonstrating the economic benefits of transportation projects. So we're going to let you take it away. Yeah, thank you, Kelly. And then this is more kind of a focus on the BCA for the grant application since it's a grant season. Uh, we already have a no-fall for the rates came out and then we know there are many discretional, uh, grants, uh, will come, uh, in the first quarter of this year. So very excited time. Uh, so the first step, the number one step is, you know, kind of know your project or the program you're going to, um, work on all the BCA grants. Um, you know, um, so one of the things I would say is, you know, define the project scope, knowing what are the main benefits of the project we'll provide when compared to the no build, uh, no, not building this project at all. So you have heard me saying that, you know, even we talked about so many, uh, benefit types. No single one project will check all the box. So you need to kind of know the project scope. And then look at the type of the impacts you expect the project to have, both quantitatively and qualitatively. And then whether those are time savings, air quality, or improvement to the land use values. So knowing the project very well is the first step. And I'm going to interject, Jen, on that step. I, I hope if you haven't already listened to our grant strategy episode. This is why putting together a grant strategy is so important because once you determine what your project is and you're starting to put your grant application together and the notice of funding is out, you want to be able to spend as much time in this step one, really understanding your project, really kind of determining what kind of benefits you think this has and giving yourself enough time to do the research and the calculations and analysis. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yep. And then step two is doing the research. Kirsten already just mentioned that. Uh, one of the things I would say is since we have done so many projects, we kind of already have all of those information in our mind about, you know, what kind of projects similar type to this that we can actually include in the quantitative benefits, whether it's roadway projects or, or transit projects or multi, um, purpose trail projects with bike and pedestrian. But then if you are just going to start on the BCA for the grant application, do some research on uh, similar projects and the prototypes. So that will help you to really kind of getting some useful starting points 
uh, gives you a baseline for seeing what benefits a similar project type this will have, uh, as well as the kind of the, the cost information. Step three is making sure that you read through the USDOT benefit cost analysis guidelines uh, very clearly. Uh, they actually have updated periodically. Uh, I think that they are in the process of updating the BCA guidelines for 2022. Um, so making sure that you go through that very clearly about the parameters that they, they're recommending for to use. And then you want to make sure if there are new requirements and then some of the previous benefits they have not included, making sure that you read the most up-to-date guidance. And I would also recommend USDOT has webinars on how to complete a benefit cost analysis. Highly recommend that you attend some of those and watch those. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, Jen and you may not know the answer to this. Uh, I did not prep. We did not prep for this. You know, USDOT updates the BCA guidelines, like you said, periodically. Do you find that with each update, they become more restrictive or less restrictive as to what benefits you can capture? Or is um, it a mix? I think it's it's a mix, but then what they have provided so far are some of the standard methodology uh, and the calculation for for the benefits that we have just mentioned. The the four major categories: the travel time savings, the operating cost savings, the safety benefits, and the emission benefits. They have changed uh, the assumptions, the key assumptions, and the discount discount rate in the past. But I think it's a mix. So I would say making sure that you, you know, attended the webinar, uh, really looking through the details of each one of mm -hmm. the main categories. Uh, and then one of the things we're going to talk a little bit about if is if the BCA guidelines does not really include the methodology, what you can do next. Okay. Um, so moving to the next step, which is the step four, uh, is, you know, additional benefits I mentioned. So if, if you are working on roadway project, I think the USDOT guidelines really cover a lot of the major elements. However, if the project is a non roadway project, for example, a, a, a trail project, then be sure that you research, uh, other economic benefits that you feel maybe more applicable to the project. And then you have heard from us that could include, you know, health benefits to the users, the recreational benefits, uh, as well as other benefits that might apply to the specific project you are working on. And then one of the example I will included here is uh, you have heard from us from the last episode uh, on the grant application. We are very excited again for our client uh, which is the Atlanta Beltline. They have received the raise grant for about $16 million for 2021. So we have worked on the BCA for them. And as part of that, we have actually really looked very deeply on, you know, how to quantify non-traditional benefits. And then this including the benefits for recreational and health benefits that can captured from exercising on the past as well as uh the health benefits of using using the trail and then uh for for that study area. 
you can also look at the economic benefits of the project. Uh, and you have heard from us, it's like temporary or permanent job recreation or tax increases from property value increases. However, as I mentioned, those are not included with a step-to-step procedures or methodology in the USDOT uh, guidance for the BCA. So you need to make sure that you have, you know, sufficient time to do your research, making sure that you including the assumptions and the methodology you used to quantify those uh, benefits. Uh, and then I would recommend to also looking for, uh, you know, key assumptions from the national kind of website that uh, NCHRP or other things that they feel the USDOT, when they review it, they feel it's a valid source for for the methodology as well as the assumption. So, Jen, you mentioned property value increases, and it made me think about something as far as your grant application. So, project may include property values, which is an economic benefit for the jurisdictions that collect those property taxes. Um, But if you remember, I think it was episode number three, our first episode of season two, we talked about anti-displacement strategies and unintended consequences of transportation projects. So. While from an economic standpoint, property value increases are great, from an equity standpoint, they may not be because then you may be displacing people who can no longer afford their property taxes. So you want to ensure from an equity standpoint that if you're going to include property value increases, that you're also demonstrating um, how you are planning to prepare for those unintended consequences in order to make your project more competitive. That's a really good point. And real quick fact check, that was episode four. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Episode four. In case anyone goes back and looks. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone will, but just in case. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I would also add to that is if you are looking at uh, the property value increases, uh, I think I have some historical data to demonstrate that is indeed the case. It's going to be helpful. Otherwise, if you just... Uh, project, you know, by doing this transportation uh, project, the property value will increase. It's not really going to give that much credibility when USDOT review it. So again, anytime you can use historical data, what has happened in the past, and then really have that really valid data source is going to be very helpful. Yeah, you can't just make it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, so the next step is, uh, we already uh, talked about this is the qualitative benefits. Though, even though you cannot quantify some of the benefits, the qualitative benefits are still very useful to include both in the narrative as well as the benefit cost, um, tech memo to showcase that other benefits may be present from the project. And then, uh, this can include the benefits that, um, could not be quantified because of lack of data to do so. Um, you know, you have heard like, you know, storm water runoff, uh, and that's the, that's the one that we actually considered and then included for the Southside Trail Race Grant we did for, uh, Atlanta Beltline, uh, is this project is going to have benefits for preventing the storm runoff. However, we cannot really get, uh, very detailed and then assumptions to quantify that, but then we still ended up to include that in our BCA, which is helpful for, you know, selecting the awards. 
Uh, and then, you know, some other ones is the planting, the landscaping. So we talked about the air emission analysis. A lot of times it's coming from the, you know, the fuel, burning the fuel from the vehicles. So planting the landscaping and then having more trees. Uh, we know it's going to have emission benefits. However, it's hard to really quantify that. Or at least we don't have enough data to do at this moment of time. So making sure that you still document those uh, as you actually work on the BCA. So we talked about the benefits. So the step six is making sure you capture all the costs uh, and then understanding, you know, what is required from the BCA guidelines is definitely a very excellent starting point. Uh, but the, here, I just want to mention that the cost uh, have to include both the capital expenditures and the operating and the maintenance cost. Uh, the capital expenditure is the total amount to build the projects. So that includes the right-of-way cost, the labor, the materials, the equipment cost, rental cost during the construction. In addition to, you know, direct construction cost, uh, you also need to include in some of the costs that has already occurred, uh, which including, you know, the planning, the professional engineering and the design, the environmental review, and then also any potential transaction costs for securing the financing for the project. On the operating and the maintenance side is the annual cost that you need to include in the BCA. And those are the costs that required to occur on the annual basis to keep the asset for uh, operating. And then making sure that you including this cost uh, for the entire analysis period, which you have heard from us, whether it's 20 year or 30 year, depending on the project type in your BCA. Yeah, and I think it's really important to note on those operating and maintenance costs, how you are calculating those um, or how you are estimating those. You want to provide as much backup and as much documentation as you possibly can. So if the applicant, if you're a consultant, whoever your client is, or if you are a public sector applying for a grant, if you have a transportation asset management plan, those typically have general operating and maintenance costs included in them. And you can use that as a guide. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And then making sure you talk with the project manager and then also get them to kind of give you the inputs as well as review some of the key assumptions, because those people will have a lot of knowledge about the project as well as, you know, the, the operating and the maintenance for projects similar like that. So the last step is the fun part. Once you have done your research. <laughs> For those uh, of you that like math. <laughs> uh, once you have done your research and uh, also really understanding, you know, both the benefit and the cost side, you are going to really work in a big spreadsheet. I would say the BCA side to calculate the, the uh, benefit cost ratio and uh, as well as to determine what is the net present value for the project. So a few things I want to uh, talk about here is since we have done so many BCA and then we have also had so many debrief with USDOT uh, staff members, we really understand what they're looking for. So a few things that to keep in mind is they're always going to examine the key assumptions you are using to developing your uh, benefit cost ratio. Uh, they're going to look at any technical errors. So, so just making sure that, you know, your spreadsheet, you have done your QAQC, 
making sure that the, the formulas and then also between the different tabs, whether it's the main tab to calculate the benefit cost ratio or, or the benefits tab, they are all connected and accurate. You know, if you are including some of the things, whether it's uh, the service life, the residual value, making sure that you actually include maybe as part of the sensitivity analysis on the key inputs. So anything a little bit more additional than what they regularly um, see, including that as the key inputs or including that as the key uh, additional benefits, and then making sure that you have a sensitivity analysis to demonstrate if everything is as base as what USDOT is Included, what is your BCA going to be? However, if some of the key assumption changes or if you include additional benefits that it's not very typical to see in the BCR, um, making sure that you really doc- document those very clearly, including the unquantified benefits, as you have heard from us. Uh, and then also, um, to making sure that everything you have done is is really documented. So when the USDOT economists review the BCR, they actually assign the confidence rating for the determination. They also do their own calculation. Um, they can kind of look at the BCR saying, okay, they're done very good on the safety side. However, they are being very aggressive on the travel time savings. Uh, they were actually changing some of the key assumptions and then um, having a different value from their side. But anyway, I think it's very important uh, when developing the Excel spreadsheet as well as the technical memorandum of the BCA methodology, which now is required from the grant application as appendix, uh, document, document, document. Document mm-hmm. the key assumptions and then also provide a step-by-step process. That's what we usually do is what is the step one to five for calculating, you know, emission benefits. So when they review it, it's very easy for them to follow the step-by-step process and they can replicate, you know, as they going through the review process. Any innovative elements that are unique to the project, we highly recommend you include those in your uh, BCR. However, making sure, again, to really write down the assumptions, the methodologies for those innovative uh, benefits. And one of the things I would uh, mention it here is, for example, for the SR400 Express Line project, in addition to your travel time savings, we actually included the benefits related to the reliability the reliability for the people who is going to use on the express lanes, as well as the reliability of the transit benefits, because the transit is going to be able to use those express lanes for free. So making sure that you really kind of document and then highlight uh, each of the innovative uh, benefits from the project can offer. And I think it's important to note and to make sure people understand that when the USDOT reviews your benefit cost analysis, and you mentioned this before, Jen, but I want to reemphasize this, they are going to replicate. They're going to try to do what you did with calculating the BCR. And if they don't get the same numbers as you, then there's, there's going to be red flags raised. So that's why it's so important that you document what they did so that they can replicate it. 
Yeah, and one of the things I would say is when you guys when when you're working on the BCA, it's it's actually a pretty short of time. You know, many times you only have you know four to six weeks to do that. So you're not going to actually start from beginning. You're going to really compile a lot of you know project information who, which has been done in the past, right? So that including you know traffic study report. The engineering and the environmental documents, the travel demand modeling uh, exercise or analysis for this project, and then you know some of the speed information either from highway performance monitoring system or from the Redis data. So just making sure every time when you refer back to some of the studies of the project, document it. You know, list you know the project, the study, the, the year, the information. You have got from those uh, past studies and the reports, and if there are uh, latest information available for the project, use the latest information if you have time to do so. So really take your time and then think through the methodology, and then you'll be good. <laughs> Easy so, peasy, right? <laughs> so I'm just I'm just gonna throw it out there for our one listener. Um, if you've listened to all of this and you're like. Uh, I, I am just not sure about this or no thanks. This is not my <laughs> cup of tea. Uh, feel free to reach out to us. We'd be happy to help you of course, with your benefit yes. cost analysis and your grant <laughs> yes. application. That's my yes. shameless plug for modern mobility. Yes, yes that's right. Yes. And then, um, again, Kelly mentioned that we have done, uh, six or seven at the same period of time. So, I mean, I would say it's, it's, is, because we have done so many and uh, every time we have done it, we actually add additional kind of tips. And then, you know, since we are, we are, mm-hmm. continue to improve our benefit cost, um, you know, analysis methodology and the spreadsheet. Uh, I was looking at, uh, the spreadsheet that we have done, you know, a few years back versus what we have just, uh, um, submitted last year. I feel that we have also kind of really learned and uh, improved a lot. I mean, there's mm-hmm. uh, just uh, tons of information out there and then uh, how you can make easy for USDOT and then uh, what they're looking for is, is very, is very uh, critical for of putting uh, some of the things that they are looking for. So, Yeah. Yep. So, you know, as we wrap this up, what do you think and, Either Jen or Kirsten, either one of you can answer this. But what do you think is the most challenging aspect of conducting an economic benefit analysis? I think one of the most challenging aspects is ensuring that your benefits are reliable and that you can Mm -hmm. back it up. Jen mentioned we've done a lot of USDRT debriefs. And I think, you know, one of the things that is it's 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 sometimes difficult is making a direct correlation like you can you can kind of know that a project if it has sidewalks is going to provide better connectivity for bicyclists and pedestrians right like that's that's common knowledge mm-hmm. but but how much connectivity what is it connecting who are you connecting so i think sometimes you know we know as transportation planners that if you do a certain type of project, what the results are going to be or what the benefits are going to be. But really, um, 
demonstrating that and communicating that effectively, I think, I think can sometimes be difficult. Yeah, I would say, you know, you know, messaging the benefits, it's, it's important. We talked about this. So doing the benefit cost analysis for USDOT, those people really understand the benefit cost side, right? So we want to make sure that the assumptions and the things are reliable and accurate. So let's, let's for them. However, when we talk with the general public about the economic benefit analysis, we need to really making sure that we can really communicate with them and that having mm-hmm. them related to the benefits they are going to experience as a user of the project. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think here in Georgia to that, to that very point, um, we as a state and people in this industry have really learned. So for those that don't know, so back in 2012 was the Transportation yes. Investment <laughs> Act, the TIA. Um, so we have 12 regions across the state that are made up of several counties each. Um, each region had an opportunity to vote for a regional sales tax to, to basically fund a list of projects. And the first time that this was attempted. Was it 2012? Was that the first time? It was, it was 12 because I remember because I moved here the month of the vote. Oh, man, I was in call centers. I was calling people trying to <laughs> educate them. Anyways, that, that gives me chills. I had forgotten about all this, but the, the biggest concern from the constituents was that they didn't understand why these projects were being selected. Why this mm-hmm. project? I have higher priorities or. Why do you have so many projects in this county and not enough in mine? So when this went around again, there were a few regions that voted on it. And it's been a very successful program. And it's because they changed the way that they communicated about these projects, really trying to demonstrate Mm -hmm. the economic benefits of each of these projects and how it was going to benefit them as a region. And um, I think now there are three regions Mm -hmm. in Georgia that Mm -hmm. uh, have this TIA program in place. And it's been really successful for them. Yeah, it has. Yeah. And one of the things I would add to that, and that it's maybe not directly related to the grant application, is actually after a project is built, we, I mean, there's just a lot of data there. So we want to actually making sure that take some time to do a before and after study the benefit cost analysis. Because Sometimes it's hard to predict the BCR, you know, for the grant application. But then if you have done a project in similar type and has been constructed, and then you have a very observed travel time savings and then the vehicle miles traveled, the speed information that you can actually use to demonstrate the benefits this kind of project is going to bring. I think that goes a long way for communicating to the general public and let them understand really, you know, you are getting a lot of benefits related to, you know, transportation benefits, transportation project. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, if you do conduct a detailed benefit cost analysis and you submit it for a grant application, take full advantage of that. That's like a gold mine of information analyses that have been done make sure you include some of the results of that in your messaging at different public meetings and stuff as you're going through the implementation phase of the project, because that that will help foster continued support from the community uh, for the project. Great. Definitely use it in the showcase. Yes. (laughs) Yes. This has been um, a very in-depth 
discussion <laughs> on BCAs and economic impact analyses. But I think I've learned something, Jen. So thank you. Yeah, me too. I have fun. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of talking, but then uh, it's 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 great uh, information to share. And then, like um, Kristen, you mentioned that there's a lot of data and then calculation and then you know spreadsheet all behind it. Uh, but I think one of the things that I would again to uh, mention here is is making sure that you really kind of cover all the aspects and know your project very well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, we're going to thank you for tuning in. If you are a nationally certified planner through the American Institute of Certified Planners, AICP, this episode is definitely eligible for AICP continuing maintenance credits. Um, so you can find all of our podcasts um, that are eligible for AICP CM credits, which are all of them, by the way, on the American Planning Association website at www.planning.org. As Kirsten mentioned earlier, if you want to learn more about how we at Modern Mobility Partners can help you, you can find us at modernmobilitypartners.com. We also have a free downloadable cheat sheet for today's episode, as well as all of our other previous episodes on our website as well. So don't forget to subscribe or even better, review our podcast. You can find us on all of your podcast listening apps. And with that, we are over and out. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in to Modern Mobility. If you work for an organization that has implemented innovative and practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges and are interested in being on our podcast, email us at podcast at modernmobilitypartners.com. Want to learn more about our consulting services? Check us out at modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast.